Hey everybody, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It's December 6th US time and December 7th my time. Today it's Jay and me. Andy's off for his birthday. Happy birthday, Andy! Um, and we have replaced Andy with a special guest, Alex Rivera, who we'll introduce in a second. Um, so, so this is a crypto app, and as you guys may know, Jay had a really good podcast series on crypto called Coin Talk with his buddy Aaron. And he's something really of it a blockchain. A, it was a crypto. Hey, we, we thought it was good. We like it. We like it in here. <laughs> um, and if you follow Jay's newsletter, he's written about NFTs. You know, he's staying on top of this stuff. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what crypto is, but there's always lots of talk in our crypto in our discord about crypto like is there a good left-wing program for blockchain economies is crypto good for working class people people of color and um there's a bunch of been a bunch of like crypto blockchain i don't know bitcoin news um the bitcoin value dropped like 20 percent last week and in two days congress is going to be holding a hearing with cryptocurrency executives um i found out that there's also a congressional blockchain caucus um and there's been a bunch of news in Asia also about countries struggling to figure out a way to regulate crypto. So our guest today, Alex, he's an old friend. He's a Peruvian American filmmaker and activist from New York, now based in LA. Alex's first feature film, Sleep Dealer, is about cyborgs and cross-border labor exploitation. And his second feature film, The Infiltrators, is based on a true story and was made with his wife, Christina Ibarro. It's about and documented activists who get themselves deliberately locked up to get a friend's father out of an ICE facility. Alex has also made a bunch of music videos and advocacy films for the National Day Laborer Organizing Network, or Endalon. And Alex and Christina both won the MacArthur Genius Prize earlier this year. So this is our first genius on the show. Bravo, bravo. I know. Congratulations. <laughs> Very fancy guest. Oh, um, so anyway, Alex's interest in sci-fi and speculative fiction combined with his work with immigrants has gotten them thinking a lot about crypto from immigrant worker remittances to El Salvador's geothermal volcano, Bitcoin. So we thought he'd be a great pair with Jay and with me as the kind of dumb interlocutor to sort through all of this. Welcome, Alex. And hey, Jay, what's up? Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Yeah. And if you're the dumb interlocutor, I'm going to be the dumb guest because I am, uh, you know, I'm definitely, like you say, I've been kind of fascinated by crypto and tracking it and trying to understand it um, and think about it for many years. But I am not, um, you know, not uh, I'm not a programmer. I'm not a coder. I'm not deep in the space. I'm interested in the ideas and the politics and the possibilities. So I'm going to be kind of flying at 30,000 feet and on over a mountain range on the other side of, <laughs> you know, the typical crypto conversations. Oh, that's good. That's most <laughs> crypto conversations anyway. It's like the number of people who actually know what's happening is like seven people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I find. Everyone else is just cloud talking, you know, which is, uh, I think it's like, I don't know. That's the part that I find most interesting too. Um, yeah. yeah. So I don't know, Tammy, like, how do you want to start this yeah. off? Well, I mean, one thing is I feel like, Obviously, the crypto conversation is an old one, and Jay, your podcast does cover some of the kind of big politics around this. But I feel like in my world, which is not at all really like a crypto adjacent world, it's just been coming up a lot more because I think a lot of leftists are kind of trying to figure out like, how should we feel about this? You know, are you supposed to have like a Warrenite take on this? Are you supposed to like agree with Yanis Varoufakis that this is just like a version of neoliberalism? Like, where are we? So, I mean, I don't know if you guys have been kind of hearing it more in left spaces, but I mean, you know, I think that's maybe a starting point of like, why should leftists even care about this? Because it takes some time to kind of figure out and, you know, to dive into this world. Yeah. 
well, maybe if I, if it makes sense, maybe I'll start off with like yeah. what I thought about it the first time I heard about it. This is one of the things I love about, you know, crypto podcasts is there's always like, start <laughs> off with how did you, how did you meet this thing? Like people don't have this yeah. conversation about how did you learn about the stock market? What was the moment or, or how did you learn about a savings account? You know, they don't, people don't talk about normal money this way, but in all crypto podcasts I listen to, there's usually like the origin story. How did you find <laughs> this thing? And for me, it was through a friend, an artist. Uh, he's an or- artist and organizer named Scott Bybin, who goes under a performance moniker of Groucho Fractal. And uh, six years ago, uh, Groucho Fractal was talking to me about um, about Bitcoin. And it seemed uh, really, um, to me, really uninteresting and like, also old news, like six years ago, you know, Bitcoin had been around for four or five years. And mm-hmm. so it felt like, oh, this thing is gone and it's over. It's, it's, it was a past kind of thing. But he also talked to me about Ethereum and I started to research Ethereum a little bit. I thought the name itself was sort of poetic and beautiful. Um, and then when I started to understand this concept of um well, a bunch of concepts about it. Number one, the idea of an organization of people doing something together uh, without a center, without a head, um, an organization that's not a company, it's not a corporation, it's not a government, it's a kind of swarm. Um, the idea of a protocol, um, a protocol that nobody owns. Um, these were interesting things at first. Um, and then looking specifically at Ethereum as a kind of protocol to allow um, money and value to be transmitted amongst people, but with an if-then kind of programming language in it. Uh, That was interesting as a filmmaker. So I was like looking at these, some of these early uh, concepts of like currently, for example, right now, today, I distribute my films. Um, I sell them through platforms like Amazon, iTunes, you know, Google, etc. And those companies typically take, you know, 40% for doing for conducting those transactions. Visa takes an additional 3%. The idea of a sort of mesh network that nobody owns, that has no center, that has no um, intermediary force that wants to take 40%, but has, and we can talk about the other sorts of incentives and other structures that are operating here, but it's not that, right? The idea of a kind of horizontal mesh that would allow me potentially to sell a film and instead of having 40% of the value of that sale go away, um, maybe it's 2% or 5% or some much smaller percent. Instead of me waiting a whole quarter to get paid by a distributor like iTunes, getting paid instantly, um, these were, that's, that's interesting. You know, the idea of... Um, just doing direct, uh, direct transactions, direct distribution. Um, and so when I sort of encountered Ethereum and some of these imagined use cases, the Uber killer, um, you know, the idea that Uber is this platform, again, taking 40 or 50% of each transaction between a passenger and a driver. What if that same kind of platform existed, but where the, there was no center, where there was only a protocol, a kind of public protocol to facilitate passengers to connect with drivers to, instead of taking 40%, taking 2%, 4%, much smaller transaction fees that go into this kind of mesh network. Um, 
That's that's interesting to me. Um, and so I think, you know, we've ended up with this very ugly internet right now. I, I've been a techno critic and a techno skeptic since the early days of the, the you know, of the internet, since it was dial up in the mid nineties. Um, <laughs> a lot of my fears about this technology of the internet kind of being weaponized by capital, I think have been borne out. And we're in this moment where I think a lot of people can see this current internet with all these sort of neo-monopolistic platforms, um, Google, Facebook, sometimes they're called FANG, right? Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, but these monopolies um, that are incentivized to do the obvious thing, which is exploit their intermediary position to the maximum. And whether that's taking the biggest cut of the artist's income, whether it's taking the biggest cut of the taxi driver's income, or whether it's uh, surveilling the audience and selling that data and monetizing it, whether it's targeting children to make sure they're using the platform as much as possible, those entities in these kind of intermediary role are clearly playing a very dark role. And I think a lot of people have kind of woken up to that now. So to me, a question is, do these decentralized forms, forms where you don't have that intermediary entity seeking to exploit as much as they possibly can, um, offer any hope for the left. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so when I started to, anyways, wrap my noodle around all of this, I can't say a definitive yes. I cannot say a definitive yes, but I can say a definitive maybe, and it's worth understanding. And um, so that's, um, you know, I guess maybe I'll I'll, I'll just pause right there, but that's a little bit for like how my, um, my, my journey how my curiosity was peaked some six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, I don't know. I feel similarly. And, um, you know, I, I remember when, uh, there was like sort of a, you know, I forget what it was called, but it was, uh, you know, a bunch of newsrooms got started. Do you remember this moment? And, um, I think it was called civic or civil or something like that. And, Mm. uh, there was this idea of micro payments and can we get beyond, this idea of can we have individual writers be subscribed to or individual mm-hmm. newsrooms start Was this up? like the Maria Bastillas? Mas- Maria Bastillas, right, right, mm-hmm. Popula. Yeah. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of projects like that, right? Gotcha. Okay. And um, and also around the art market, right? Like, is there a way so that there aren't these hammer fees and like this sort of like false curation, a lot of which is scammy, right? Like uh, where it's just like Hollywood actors and rich people sort of conspiring together with publications on what's going to be the hot new thing. And then they just buy it all up. Like, is there a way in which artists can benefit? And I think that that, you know, around the time you were talking about Alex, it was a really big conversation. I remember like a triple canopy, which was an art magazine yeah. at the time, which I still think, you know, like they had a ton of Ethereum at the beginning because they were really into it, you know? And I think that that, Oh wow! I, I don't know. know. I imagine that that's turned into some large amount of money at this point, which is not really the <laughs> point. The point was more that like they were, that they sort of saw the potential of this and people like Holly Herndon, right? Like some musician and sort of conceptual artists, they were all talking about it too. And so, um, yeah, I was interested in all of that too, because I couldn't really see your argument against at least exploring it, right? Mm-hmm. In the same way that Alex was talking about. And the second thing that happened was when Nipsey Hussle died, all this stuff came out about how he had been investing in Bitcoin, right? And, and cryptocurrencies and that. His, his argument was essentially like, look, this is the way that the black community can have a lot of asset. Mm-hmm. We can build up assets and we also don't have to deal with like centralized banking right now. Um, I never heard a good argument against that. 
right? <laughs> because like the like and and um, look, the price of Bitcoin can go down. It will go down. Like this week, it went down twenty percent. You know, but the yeah. truth of the matter is that from when Nipsey Hustle started investing in Bitcoin to now, like you know, like the, it's probably like forty times, you know, at least in terms of the investment that he would put into it, right? And so there is some asset growth, right? With and mm -hmm. the larger point is that like. Look, all the problems that people talk about in terms of banking, whether like discriminatory lending, predatory lending, all these sorts of things, right? Like they can be solved theoretically yeah. <laughs> through, smart <laughs> through like the Ethereum smart contracts that Alex was talking about, right? Where mm -hmm. it's a trustless type of system. And uh, I could not think of a good reason why that's not a preferable situation and at the same time you know like when i started getting into it there was a lot of talk about remittances right which i think alex you wanted to talk about which is that um there are people like ofws for example in uh you know uh, people from the philippines who are working as you know maids generally in or entertainers in in hong kong and they were sending remittances back to the philippines in cryptocurrency instead of having to go and pay western union every single time yeah. and so that's another thing where it's like why is this a good version of this not better than Western Union? Like, are we really defending Western <laughs> Union? Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time, and I still think this is mostly the case with one large exception, the argument against this is like, oh, well, you know, you know, it's that's just for them, right? That sort of stuff is just for right wingers. These people are all like libertarian anarcho-capitalists who read Ludwig von Mises and they're like all Austrian school actually like crypto fascists which is true yeah. <laughs> you know and in some part a lot of them are you know um but that doesn't mean that like one should abandon the idea of this right just because there are some very unsavory people associated with it like that type of like kind of like shame through association is such limited thinking in my opinion and um and then like there's also this sort of like institutional uh, on knowledge, right? Like not knowledge, yeah. but understand like consensus, right? And so you have like uh, big pay newspapers and stuff in the editorial sections and the of like the Wall Street Journal or something like that will be very dismissive, and you'll never see an actual argument behind the dismissiveness, right? It's just like this is a fad, this is the tulip craze all over again, mm -hmm. and it's like, well, it's been around <laughs> for ten years, you know. And the tulip craze was like basically like one summer, you know, and the the price keeps like the more and more people are involved in it. There's so many scams in it. It's true, you know, but that's true of uh, there's a lot of scams in the normal market. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you know? So um, I don't know. I, I think I agree with Alex in that like there's this like there's this germ of an idea that if you actually look at it with like face to face and you strip away like this sort of institutional bias that you might have, then you're like, why not? Right. And then that, that's, that's where my brain starts working. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I, I don't know how, um, you know, where you're, if you guys have a sense for where your audience is in terms of fluency with these systems and in terms of how they're organized and the, I think for me, the thing that um, sort of clicked was just the understanding the incentives by which people work together um, in our society, you know, and that, you know, there's like a certain set of incentives to make a company and to find venture capital. And, you know, the platforms that we use have a history and how, how are they formed and what are the incentives there versus, um, 
the incentives in this space. And to understand the different incentives, you have to kind of like understand the way these projects are 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 launched and how they operate. But um, but if do you, do you guys feel like your audience is kind of going to be fluent in all of that, or or is that worth talking about those? Well, I think the only thing that we should describe is like sort of those organizations you were talking about, which I assume you're talking about DAOs, right? Like sort of decentralized autonomous mm. organizations no, or, or things just, like that. I'm just talking about the incentive um, for uh, like for making any kind of the, the crypto economic model, I guess, the model where, you know, you create a protocol like Ethereum is a programming language, a protocol that nobody owns. Um, why make something you don't own? You know, if you're a programmer, um, why not go get venture capital and make something you own and that you're going to sell to shareholders? Right. And, you know, the model that we know, um, at least, you know, just watching technolo- technology companies grow, you know, we understand you know, from watching a movie like The Social Network, you know, you, you the kids start with the dream and start to build the their company, story. the garage right. story, but the garage story that inevitably, you know, encounters venture capital and starts yeah. to get that investment to scale up and then seven or some years into the development typically goes public and you sell the whole bag, you know, or sell a chunk of the company to the public and then you have a structure that is seeking a profit, you know, and its motivation, whatever its business model is, obviously to seek a profit. Um, Ethereum. So are you kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, sorry. Are you kind of pointing to, I don't know, like an, the idealism or kind of like the utopianism of this kind of collective project? No, no, the opposite of that. It's definitely, so like the motivation for, um, I mean, what's interesting to me is that these crypto economic systems are driven, my understanding, by sort of game theory and self-interest, that people involved in this space, whether as developers or token holders, are in it out of Mm self-interest. But there's no center seeking a profit, which is, that's the kind of like mind bender of it. And so just I'll explain my understanding of it just in case it's useful. But so my understanding is, let's say you want to develop a some kind of a crypto protocol, a, a coin, um, or perhaps like an Uber killing taxi service that's going to, the protocol, the language, the program that you're going to develop, you're not going to own it. At some certain moment, you're going to release right. it out into the world. But why did you do that out of self-interest? Why spend years building something? It's because you're going to hold on to a purse a wallet of the the native token. So if you're building Ethereum, you're going to hold a wallet of, let's say, 1 million Ether. And at the beginning, it has no value. It's casino money. It's funny money. It doesn't, uh, it has no value. But you're building something, in the case of Ethereum, almost an operating system. In the case right. of an Uber-killing crypto app, it would be to, to uh, create a system for passengers to connect with drivers, but you're going to hold a wallet of the tokens used in that system. And then if people start to use the system, their value, their money is going to have to pass through your token. So the passenger maybe has dollars, the rider, the driver wants dollars, but it's going to pass through the Tammy token between the passenger Mm -hmm. and the driver. And since (laughs) you've created the Tammy system, you hold a million of your Tammy tokens that when you built them, they had zero value. But if people start to use this protocol, a public protocol that you don't own, they use it to interact with each other. Their value 
pulses through your currency. And so your currency starts to take on value as it's demanded, as people mm-hmm. use the thing you've built. So you're, and then all of a sudden you can become, not all of a sudden, over time, you could become rich as your purse of of tokens, of Tammy tokens, goes up in value over the years, you could become vastly wealthy, but not by trying to take the biggest cut between the driver and the passenger. You're not trying to extract an intermediary profit in between these parties. You're actually trying to make that intermediary um, cost as low as possible. So as many people as possible use this system to interact with each other because then the currency that pulses through it goes up in value and your stake in it goes up in value. And so this to me is like kind of, I don't, I'd never heard of anything like it. It was like, at least it's like interesting. It's a different set of incentives mm-hmm. for building um, ways to organize people. But I, I, I will say also that these systems are filled with horrible people doing off with many with awful libertarian politics and many many scams. I think it's important to say that just so I don't people don't think I'm totally <laughs> right, drunk, right, drunk the sure. Kool Aid. Yeah. Yeah, no, but it's not about drinking the Kool Aid. But it Alex is about, from Coinbase getting yeah, commission on this show, whatever. No, or, <laughs> or Alex Alex is coming on with Alex Coin. Um, yeah. That that's uh, well, that's what's interesting to me is that like uh, you know. I agree with that, that there is an interesting potential to it now to date, right? Like there's been very few Ethereum projects that have actually been built, right? Like, and there's been thousands, maybe millions of coins that have been released, these tokens. And the thing that seems very clear to me is that the purpose of it right now is just speculation on Tammy, on Tammy token, right? So Tammy Tammy decides that she's going to replace Uber. And yeah. she I'm says, so all right, she puts up a website that says, here's my team. You know, it's me, Tammy, <laughs> Kim, with all of my credentials. And here's four people who used to work at Google in some form or another. <laughs> right. And uh, we are going to tokenize uh, tra- personal transportation. And, uh, you know, and then here's like, a, you know, here's somebody who worked at Tesla who's going to be our chief engineer, something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that the th- that Tammy token comes out and immediately it goes up like 600 percent and Tammy's already rich. Right. Yep. And that's because the whole action around crypto and these tokens right now is just based on the speculation of the token. Like, right. Like, so. Um, and then what happens is that Tammy's taxi network never gets built, right? And, <laughs> and so, like, I remember there was, like, this whole, there was this thing that I, you know, I'm very interested in gambling. And so there was, like, a prediction market that came out. Um, and, you know, it had years of, like, sort of runway where everyone's like, this is a real Ethereum product. You know, they were going to use uh, smart contracts to do a prediction market. So prediction market meaning, like, is Joe Biden going to win the presidency? And, mm-hmm. you, you know, you bet on it. Now, this is a very simple and obvious application of, of smart contracts, right? And what happened, it was called Augur, right? And so what happened is that Augur launches, it does not work. There's no liquidity in the system at all. My friend Aaron and I tried to like create three or four different Augur markets, like none of them worked. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, and then basically nobody bothered to fix it, you know, because the people, Mm -hmm. the problem is that the people who had made Augur are already so rich, they're completely not incentivized to make it. And honestly, they didn't really want to make it in the first place, right? And so, um, We're not quite like that's where I think the potential is, though, where it's on on the left for this sort of stuff, which is that like when the bad faith sort of right, right, libertarian anarcho-capitalist people are messing this up so much and everyone is so desperate for something that actually works. Right. 
that's mm. where like you could actually say, look, we're going to actually make something, you know, like we're not just here to like put out a bullshit website that people go to and then start bidding on Tammy coin. Like we're going to actually build this thing. And uh, I don't know. I, I think there's still some mm. potential there. But the problem is that it's just a very, very, very hard sell. I don't know, Alex, have you, have you found that too? That like when you try and convince people on this, like the first thing they do is like roll their eyes and then they ask <laughs> if you're doing okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's like generally what I get from, you know, except for my friends who are into crypto, right? Like, uh, yeah. And then I have some friends who are into crypto. And this is most of them actually where they're just like, we're going to get rich, you know, like we start, mm-hmm. my friends and I started this like NFT, like we were just buying NFTs together, you know, mm. and it was like, none of us really believed in this thing, you know? Um, and then, uh, but you know, like we would, it was like a fun, it, we followed a sort of like sports, you know, where it's like fun mm-hmm. to follow and stuff like that. But once you start talking about like, Hey, what's the real application of this for the left? Like, you know, like the eyes go, you know, glossy and then it's difficult. Yeah. Well, it's, I was talking to a, a friend who's um, an artist. Um, I, I think it's fine. He's been, he's been public about his crypto involvement, uh, Paul Chan. And, you know, he, mm-hmm. um, yeah. he got interested um, a long time ago and um, we were speaking about the coincidence that basically, you know, um, Bitcoin was in, invented around the, the same time as Occupy was unfolding. <laughs> and um, he was just noting how interesting it was that Occupy took no interest in um, in in Bitcoin in those early days in that moment. And I was trying to re- remember why I had no interest in it, because I had read about it. I'd try to follow technology and I was aware of Bitcoin, I think from early days, but took no interest in it. And I think it's because the, uh, well, a variety of reasons. One was just calling it a currency instead of some other thing. It's like, these are just, these are digital units on a ledger. They're digital objects uh, that you need to call them even a currency. I, I don't know why it needs to be called that, but then going further and calling it like a, a gold standard, um, is right. you're re- it's I'm getting repelled every step of the way. You're repelled by <laughs> the word currency. I'm repelled by the idea of a gold standard, and I'm repelled from the by the idea of a society. Anyone who thinks, at least for me, I think anyone who thinks that society would be better if we had a kind of fixed mo- money supply, um, you know, I, I think is I don't know. That's not the economic theory I've subscribed to. I I, I believe that there should be some elasticity in the money supply. Right. That it should grow and shrink and try to um, you know maintain um, you know some relationship between wages and the price of a, a gallon of milk and you know so like just, I think money has to be managed somehow and Bitcoin cannot be managed and you know the libertarians love that. It's like it's a fixed amount. Um, and so all of that, I think, you know, pushed probably, I don't know, it pushed me away. Maybe this is what pushed away other, um, dreamers, other people who think the status quo sucks, but why the, why crypto was, you know, a repellent for the left for, for so long, um, I think might be some of those reasons. I don't know, Tammy, if, if you can talk about, you know, your, your own, um, why you why you've thought it stinks if you have or what 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 you know what right. what repels you well i guess that's why i was asking about you know whether you guys thought some of this had kind of utopian possibilities or you know if you've imagined this kind of cooperatism that's built into like the acceptance of a tammy to- uber killing tammy token as a sort of you know a kind of left 
yeah, a kind of co-op type model or something. So in other words, like, are there mission-driven forms of cryptocurrency we can imagine in which we could say, this is going to be a DSA project where we're all going to buy this particular token. You know, we're all going to engage in this particular economy. Like, but I think that to the Occupy question, like, I think the left is pretty bad at thinking about like monetary policy. And this kind of sounded like, like it was going to be a sort of like money system thing that we would have to understand, but maybe something that was still very, had a sort of kind of scammy feel. It didn't introduce sort of new possibilities for redistribution or, you know, the sorts of things we were thinking about at Occupy, which were very much like just coming out of the mortgage crisis, like, you know, just people's like sort of basic suffering around basic needs. This didn't sound like something that would answer those questions. Right. And to be fair, like it was an anarcho-capitalist project, you know, (laughs) like it was like, it was based on this idea of deflationary currency and a new gold standard, right? It Mm -hmm. was based around the idea, like the philosophy of it was, I remember reading this like tortured analogy at some point, right? And in one of these books, because my friend Aaron, who I did the podcast with, and I would read all like sort of the foundational crypto evangelist texts. And then we would would sort of, (laughs) we would do close reads of them on the podcast. But you know, like the idea was like, Oh, well, you know, if you learn to fish, right, like, let's say you're like, in a society where you're the only person who knows how to fish, and then everybody learn, you teach everyone how to learn to fish, then the value of you being the first person to learn to fish is diluted, right? But like, what if, what if it was true that the first 500 fish that you caught, you know, uh, were the actual measure of every single fish that was caught after that right and that like you know and that that was a state like it's sort of stuff Mm -hmm. like that right like where you're like i now own all the fish forever right (laughs) (laughs) you're just like and like uh like the reason why i say it was a tortured analogy is because i can't even figure out how that works you know even if i had us maybe i'm miscount recounting it but i actually think i'm doing it more credit than it deserves because it was even somehow (laughs) stupider than what i just described like that that is a problem. But I guess, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because like, I feel like maybe even going through like Occupy or like these sort of like left channels, right, is not how these things will spread. I did think it was going to spread through the art world, right? And then a lot of things obviously start in the art world and then go out into other places. And so right now it is interesting because the center of Crypto is in two places right now. One is in DAOs, right, which is the sort of decentralized automate, automated uh, or autonomous organization, right, which mm-hmm. uh, they're most famously recently just tried to buy a copy of the Constitution. Right? Did you see this news story? No. Um, they a bunch of crypto people got their like pulled their money together into a DAO to try and buy a, the copy of the institute of the Constitution. Oh <laughs> I think it's called Constitution DAO. And then uh, some like hedge fund guy just basically like outbid them, you know, and, and it was like a, he was doing it almost a troll, you know, right, it was just yeah. like, um, you didn't really but, want uh, <laughs> but, you know, the idea of the DAO is interesting, right? Like it's sort of this place where everybody pulls their money together into a contract where you don't need an intermediary. You don't need like, you know, like a accounting firm and six lawyers to try and figure yeah. out all the details, right? Like people just sort of collectively agree and then the second place is obviously like in nfts where um you know i I don't know uh alex like you know like you you talked about like distribution of your films Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. you certainly are well connected or think a lot about like these sorts of questions like what what, what have you thought about this nft movement sure sure no um 
well, let's see. There's some. There's so much to talk about. Um, <laughs> but regarding NFTs, I mean, uh, you know, for me, I, I when in the NFTs emerged in terms of, um, you know, these individual works of digital art. Like I wasn't smart enough to get it. And I was like, again, just like, what is this? It seems stupid. This is a stupid thing. I really think a lot of this stuff is stupid, you know, and I thought <laughs> NFTs were kind of stupid, but, um, but, you know, but slowly like learning about like, for example, the idea of an NFT being like a contract of, of ownership. And like, if you own your house, you don't actually own the house. You own a piece of paper that says you own the house. Right. So the NFT is like a contract of ownership of a digital work that typically exists somewhere else outside of the blockchain. So the, the work of art might exist on someone's website. My, my friend and comrade Dred Scott just sold an NFT and the, the visual component of it sits on his server, but the contract of ownership sits on the blockchain, on the Ethereum blockchain. And it points to the, um, it says, whoever owns this token owns that image over there. And um, it seemed weird and crazy to me at first, because the image, in the case of many in NFTs, sits on, it might be on an Amazon web server, it might be on your, <laughs> the Tammy's server. Um, and how can owning the blockchain token give you ownership for that? And it seemed ridiculous. Yeah. But it's no more ridiculous than a piece of paper saying, I own my house, I suppose. Um, but then what became interesting was the idea of royalties, that the token, as it moves around and gets sold, so the artist creates their work of art and creates this token that is the sort of certificate of ownership and they sell it and they sell it, let's say for a thousand dollars. But then that collector, after the thing has been hyped up or the artist's career has grown, can sell that token for $10,000, but the artist can put code into the into that contract saying, well, I'll get 20% of that second sale mm -hmm. and the third sale and the fourth sale. So that as this work of art moves through the marketplace, there can be kind of a pay a royalty paid out. And then that becomes interesting, you know, to me politically and conceptually, because artists have been getting, you know, screwed for so long by, by selling work to savvy collectors and never seeing an upside down the line. And so that's like interesting. And yeah. maybe paintings um, that people make today should have the certificate, the title on the blockchain that could perform this kind of royalty function right. as they move through the market. Um, so that's interesting. And for what it's worth, I've actually, um, I've joined a, uh, I'm an advisor insanely um, to a crypto uh, protocol called rare that is doing, um, you know, NFT distribution of moving images and, or, or media nice. broadly. And so the way the, uh, the system works is the creator can upload um, their content, their movie, their music, um, but it gets encrypted. So unlike most NFTs, the media is actually invisible, uh, unseeable. Um, and then you issue NFTs and they could be sold for, they could, you could issue them and give them out for free. Uh, you could price them like movie tickets, five bucks. Um, you could do them in windows and have the first 10 be expensive and the next 1 million be a dollar. You could do lots of different models, but then those NFTs interact with the file and unlock it. And when it gets unlocked, it can be a custom render for that ticket holder. So person who has movie ticket number one, for example, could get render with a little number one on it. 
person is ticket number 500, a little 500, so that then you're entering a land where there's um, a whole variety of things happening. There's um, the creator being able to do direct transactions to their audience. Again, you're not waiting for your statement from iTunes. You're not losing 40% along the way. Um, you're getting direct transactions. Those transactions can be um, dispersed through the smart contract. So let's say you made your movie with three friends. So there's four of you. Each micro payment, if your NFTs are $5 each, can be broken into those four wallets instantly. And then you've got this digital rights management where each hmm. render of the movie is sort of burned into the ticket holder. So you can kind of um, control how the thing is getting released and exactly who's pirating it. You know, So there's like, that, that, that's interesting to me. It's, in, it's interesting right. to me. Um, and, uh, and, and their market, because they're thinking about, uh, you know, film is not about the Beeple sale of a $160 million kind of crazy, precious work, which is not interesting to me politically, but the idea of artists being able to reach large audiences at scale, get rid of these, monopolistic platforms and um, directly interact with their audience and monetize things the way that they see fit. Um, all of that seems like, you know, utopia, I don't know, but at least like worth talking about, you know, we're, we're worth talking about. So right. the, mm -hmm. yeah, the royalty question has been always interesting to me too, right? Yeah. Once I started thinking about it, because there's no real limit to how you can sort of structure these things, right? So um, you could, for example, go to a restaurant, right? And in the bill of your restaurant, you're paying with some sort of smart contract and you know, and everybody knows, including the people who work there, how the money that you have paid for this meal gets distributed amongst the staff, right? And how much of it goes to X person or another person. Now, a restaurant might not be the best example for that, right? But like, you can think about any type of yeah, cool. thing that you buy, right? Where there's some transparency around who actually gets the money, right? And so like people can make individual choices. Like, do I want to buy a thing where the CEO gets like 95% of this, <laughs> of this smart contract payment? Now, th this of course changes when you have some sort of like publicly owned company with stocks and everything like that, which is where it would be. But I would think that even, you know, like if you wanted to start small, like you could start at these types of, places where that type of transparency would be enforced through smart contract, which I think would be really interesting. And again, like, you know, like this concept of royalties for the artists is like, I don't know, this is why we talk about it in the discord, or this is what most of the conversations, yeah. because we have somebody who's like a quite accomplished artist in our discord who, who has been thinking about this. Right. And so some of the conversations have come out against out around that. And I don't know, I think that, this idea that like, you know, like once a piece of art is sold from the artist to the collector and then it goes through 17 forms of like basically scammy speculation before it sells for like $500,000 or something like that. And then they trot the artist out, but the artist isn't getting a penny of this, you know, it's just like publicity. <laughs> like that's a terrible system for artists, especially. And so like, uh, I don't know, like for things like that, it's like, I agree, it's interesting. But then on the other hand, I just think that it's almost like, you know, like, uh, like, if you compare it to what we have now, like, I think it's just sort of foolish to not think about it. You know, like, I don't know, like, Tammy, is there stuff for it that like, you know, like, what do you, where, where does your mind go when you hear about this sort of stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think like the, the film 
stuff was definitely on my mind and maybe it was because of conversations through Alex, but I'm always buying random stuff that comes out and like thinking about the platforms. And I feel like there's been a little bit of a proliferation of like non-Amazon type platforms that some of the independent filmmakers have been using. So that is sort of interesting to me, but I don't know, I guess for me, I had read about the Philippine remittance situation. And so that seems like kind of where my head was more going around like some of these labor questions. Um, But to your guys' point, like earlier on when you were talking about, yeah, how like vulnerable people and poor people have been shut out of these banking systems. And obviously we don't want to support the Western unions and stuff. And at the same time, like these are the people who have so much to lose. And so the sort of risk factor of going into these things that seem so dubious and kind of like not, they're not material is so frightening. And so like, I mean, what's your guys' reading on that about like, why has some of this remittance stuff worked? Because we're talking about OFWs like in very difficult labor circumstances who are somehow engaging in Bitcoin and are sending money home this way. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, somebody who, I, a voice that I think has been interesting in this space has been Murtaza Hussein of The Intercept. Right. He's, um, yeah. he's appeared in a few spaces talking about two different silos, I think, of like uh, leftist thought or inquiry around crypto and one is regarding sanctions and the other is regarding remittances and um you know so he's got some articles uh, up that um have a lot of the data you know but um but again i think from just like a you know a uh uh like a basic point of view. For example, I made a documentary almost 20 years ago called The Sixth Section. And you, people can see it on my website if they want to at alexrivera.com. And it tells the story of a group of um, immigrants from southern Mexico who've all kind of migrated to upstate New York. About half of this little town now lives in upstate New York together. And in New York, they elect a president, a secretary, and a treasurer to raise money in the dollar economy in New York and then send that back to their village um, to administer public works, to build the Zocalo, to pave the road, projects like that. And so it's like, and this phenomena of a group of immigrants kind of forming a secondary government in the U.S. is not particular to this village. It's actually, there's over a thousand of these Mm -hmm. cases across Mexico. It's like hometown associations. Hometown, they're called hometown associations. Exactly. And so in that film, it's not like forefronted, but you see technology everywhere. It's a 20-year-old film, so you see 20-year-old <laughs> technology. The home, the home video, um, the the cell phone and the speakerphone, the money wiring systems, and um, and we we know uh, that the money wiring system is uh, is a giant hyper exploitative circuit, um, right. you know, yeah, where the fees. Totally averaging 20, 30% between the fees and the exploitative currency conversions. And um, so again, in, in Murtaza Hussein's uh, article, he's laying out like what the status is currently of, um, you know, crypto remittances and that it is a growing segment. Um, you know, uh, for me, there's, I guess, a few things to think about. One is, yeah, what is a state of play for building more efficient um systems to do that. And I definitely can't endorse or I, I don't know any project I could believe in or trust, but um, but I think there's advances coming where basically the, the 
the send people can hold dollars in their in their crypto wallets so they're not exposing themselves to the volatility right. but then the the crypto network is used as the transmission method between between those two wallets so the sender and the receiver are working with and holding dollars but behind the scenes it's flipping it to a mm-hmm. to a crypto protocol to move it and um and that seems like okay cool to me there's a secondary question is like can you use that can that can things be built around those kinds of systems to build political power for migrants or to build systematic economic power for for the immigrant community? So, for example, could a immigrant rights organization in the U.S. mint an immigrant rights token and then approach these remittance protocols and say, look, we'll introduce your protocol to our members to transmit the money if you run the transmission through our immigrant rights token and our immigrant rights token is going to be held in a treasury that we're going to use to spend to lobby congress for immigrant rights or to build workers centers around the country or to provide health care for undocumented folks and nice. so we will uplift your your more efficient western union competitor protocol if in exchange <laughs> you create value for our token that's making immigrants more powerful and 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 with a deeper experience of health and justice and safety. And so is that like, is something like that possible? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but I know that if we're not fluent in how these systems operate, um, then it's definitely not possible, you know? So I, I, I'm so. <laughs> is I that like, would that uh, be like a pass through? It's like a secondary pass through token that would be attached to the main thingy yeah in, in, like if, we, <laughs> if i'm understanding we talk, it correctly yeah yeah the way we talked about earlier so like between the let's say there's the sender who has dollars and the receiver who has dollars yeah. and then there's crypto protocol x that's going to provide the service of turning that value into token x to get to the receiver right and they're mm-hmm. they want their token to go up in value the more people use it right can you come in as a, 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 a like a, an immigrant rights organization with 30,000 members and say, we're going to partner with you to try to get to introduce your technology to our members. If you put token Y into that circuit and token Y is our token that we're going to use to build worker centers and create healthcare programs. So it's like a friction token to, or a social value token um, to empower like an aligned communities, um, you know, the, to empower an aligned community, you know, so it's something like, I have no idea if it's possible, but these are things that I think programmatically would be possible. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, and, and, you know, and maybe, you know, because there are multiple projects in this space competing, maybe one that the immigrant rights movement could approach and negotiate with would have an advantage because, you know, they need to reach the community, but it shouldn't be just, um, the people creating these protocols who are getting rich, why you could create mm-hmm. the similar types of crypto economic circuits to um, create value, create wealth for, um, for the movement to create resources for the movement, you know? So I don't know, but I know if we yeah. avoid it or pretend it's not happening or say we hate it because Peter Thiel likes it, um, <laughs> which is totally, I mean, Peter Thiel's a douche. I hate anything. <laughs> I'm tempted to hate everything he likes, <laughs> but, but it's, um, but you know, I, but anyway, so, so it's that, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah, know, Jay, yeah, is there is. stuff like that that you've seen? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, but it's it's fair. It's not as intentional as what Alex is talking about, okay. right? And it does kind of stink sometimes of the type of fake, uh, like. So, for example, like the Ethereum space is not as like right wing as the as the Bitcoin space, mm-hmm. right? And so, and the NFT space is even more like sort of squishy liberal, right? Yeah. And so, <laughs> like I like there are all these NFTs that came out over the past few months where it's like. Like, I remember there was one that was, like, all, like, it was an entire project that was, like, women of color. You know, it was, like, NFTs mm. of women of color. <laughs> and then there was, like, one that was, like, uh, you know, like, it was, like, the first all-women development team. And nice. both of these things pumped, like, crazy, right? And the reason why they pumped, like, crazy is because the NFT space wanted to show itself as progressive, right? right? So there's this potential because it's, like, like we're not talking about a small amount of money here. We're talking about, like, millions and millions of dollars pumped into these two specific projects, right? Really, wow. And you look at the art and you're like, this art is terrible. But that's true of every <laughs> NFT. But I you're know. Just like this. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. Hey, some of them are cool, I think. But, like, like you know, I have, like, a, you know, like, there's something wrong with my brain where I'm just like, no, that one is cool. And then everyone's like, no, it's the same as every single you're, other you're one. Totally you're like, you've just been, you've been staring at these for way too long which is true but like um uh but then there's ones where they're like we're gonna you know it's mostly like we're gonna we've made like a let, let's say like you know like i think this is a real example which is like we've made one about uh i don't know frogs or something right and like we're gonna donate all of our money to like rainforest or we're gonna like donate some portion of this within the smart contract right every time one of these passes a hand some portion of it goes to like rainforest relief or something like that right so there's stuff like that that really does exist and so like alex the thing that you are talking about is certainly programmatically possible right like you can just say some portion of this goes to like an immigrant rights uh group and i would imagine that like within at least the nft space that there would be a lot of enthusiasm for something like that now the problem is that like basically how do you do the PR for that? You know, mm. because everybody in on your side basically thinks this is a scam that destroys the environment, right? Yeah. And we're not anywhere close, I don't think, to a place where we can sell it to the left, right? Or the progressive left, because, you know, there's two types. The first is like the people who get all their news from like three newspapers and they think that this is all a scam because that's what they've been told for 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other side just hates it for as alex pointed out very understandable re- reasons <laughs> because the people are associated with it they do actually suck you know and yeah. so like i don't know it's a tough space it like i i go crazy thinking about it a lot just because like <laughs> i think about like decentralized finance which is another big thing and that's happening right DeFi, mm-hmm. and i just think like like can we take dan gilbert and like rocket mortgage out of the equation, you know, of like a mortgage to buy your home. We absolutely can if you think about it in terms of decentralized finance and smart contracts. Of course, you can take it out, right? Like this sort of shit, like where you're like, you know, and I think it was in Marin County or something like that. Another example happened of like a black family who like uh, took all the photos of, of, of black people out of their home and had it reappraised and it was reappraised for half a million dollars more than the first appraiser when they had like, oh right? Like that sort of stuff is Everybody agree, not everyone, but like every human, <laughs> nor decent. like moral person, <laughs> decent person agrees that this is a horrible system, right? Hmm. And it seems like we do have the technology to replace some of that, right? But like, it's just hard to get the first step in. And part of the reason why it's hard to get the first step in is because once you get that first step in, then you have carnage because like these places are not going to go easily, <laughs> right? They're going to do yeah. everything like up 
including like a banana massacre to get rid of this sort of stuff, right? Because like this is like basically the world economy is based on this type of is based on this type of predatory stuff. And so I do think that some of the difficulty in this is that like, uh, you know, I do think that there's a lot of incentive for every institution to try and make this seem as impossible as, you know, as, Mm. as much as possible. And I do think that despite like the enthusiasm of crypto people being like, we can do it, we're going to make it, you know, like this sort of like (laughs) stuff that goes everywhere. Like, it's just like, dude, like, you know, like these banks are not going to just be like, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, it's a huge uphill battle. At least that's my sense of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, in terms of, um, you know, thinking about some of the, like the, the politics and the, you know, proof of concept uh, that an anti-capitalist uh, technology is possible. Like um, I would, you know, I've been thinking a lot about BitTorrent, you know, and, and um, you know, BitTorrent is 20 year, a 20 year old protocol. Um, you know, people probably know it from pirating movies. Or, I was going to say, you this know, is, maybe <laughs> you want have you ever download heard of, movies you're not supposed to have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that protocol has been attacked, uh, you know, hardcore like by and and it's the you know late the, the the sort of final iteration of things that started i remember obviously napster and limewire and this kind of peer-to-peer kind of decentralized modes of exchanging files that were number one got shut down number two three and BitTorrent emerged and BitTorrent sort of if you were to look at a map of it how it operates is very similar to these these um you know the more decentralized of these crypto systems it doesn't have there's no central point of attack there's no central failure there's no there's no center there and um capitalist uh states uh and the corporations the capitalists around them have been trying to attack BitTorrent for decades and have failed and it is kind of to me a sort of whether like it or not it is a kind of anti-capitalist commons that has been built um and it has proved resilient, you know. So, in that sense, if we want to imagine just far out an anti-capitalist economic sphere, a nation without land, uh, a social space in which people of aligned values could exchange with each other and have circuits that could redistribute wealth, um, circuits that could shunt some of the wealth into health programs or anything like that. If a nation yeah. without land. Is that politically possible, technologically possible? Could it be resilient to the types of attacks Jay's talking about? I mean, I think BitTorrent has at least is sort of a proof of concept that these decentralized modalities can resist total attack by the most powerful versions of of of, right. of, of fat power that we know today. You know, mm. um, it's a proof of concept that the decentralized um, mode. Um, resists you know and and uh and i'm not saying i ever have pirated a movie i'm not saying that but uh, <laughs> of course not <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i remember like the only that like i i totally agree with that and the only thing that i think is that like you know i have a buddy who works uh now at one of the big nft companies you know he he's one of my friends from growing up and his job is basically to take this big company and poured it, you know, and they got big very quickly. So they weren't on any sort of reliable infrastructure at first. Cause they're like, Oh yeah. You know, like 
trading NFTs, like how big could it get? And then, it, you know, they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> so his job is to put it on AWS, you know. Oh, and wow. so I guess that's the that's only question, right? Like, so like, like everyone's yelling, yeah, we're starting our new communities. It's outside of everything. And, you know, like we're going to all be, we're all going to make this like separate commune like community. And, uh, you know, like we can do it all together and everything's decentralized. Be like, it's still on AWS, homeboy. <laughs> you know? Did he say why they have to use it? Is it just, is there just no other option? For it to there? work. Yeah. yeah. It just needs to be- <laughs> the working part. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can put it on some oh, sort of, man. you know, side chain type of thing. It's just like, it's yeah. just not going to work. You know? <laughs> so, like, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's the only problem. (laughs) Maybe you guys can help me understand the DAO thing because on labor Twitter, which admittedly is a very small Twitter, but on (laughs) labor Twitter, there's always these fights now about like, you know, some kind of, I don't know, techno lib person comes in and is like, DAOs are the labor unions of the future or like DAOs Mm. are how we're going to solve all of the workers' rights problems of the future. Like, what are they talking about? Hmm. Well, I, I would start with uh, Trevor Schultz at the New School and his work on platform co-ops. And um, he's got a book, I think, called Ours to Hack and Own, which is a sort of survey of like platform co-ops. And the platform co-op idea is just the idea of using the kind of, you know, the platform structure that we we know and and use and probably, you know, many people of conscience hate, you know, the Uber platform, yeah. the Airbnb, et cetera, but mm-hmm. sort of m- mimicking those structures, but where they're owned by the workers or owned by the mm-hmm. drivers. Um, and yeah. uh, so that's, so platform co-op is, DAOs are like uh, a step out and sideways from their DAO stands for decentralized autonomous organization. And it's this right. idea of an organization where there's no um, there's no center to it. It's a, a protocol. So imagine a really stupid and simple example would be you want to buy NFTs with 10 of your friends. And so your 10 friends uh, form a DAO, which now there's a piece of software that your 10 friends have access to. And what happens in that software is, let's say, first step to join the club, you have to put $1,000 in. Now, this is not going to appear like a leftist example. This is not. It's just a simple example. But let's say you and your 10 friends put $1,000 into this piece of software. Now there's $10,000 in there. And now you want to make a decision on what NFT are we going to buy with that $10,000. And person one says it should be this one. And you you make proposals. And because uh, in the blockchain where you've got these unique tokens, you can also call them votes. You can call a token a vote. It's a different word for sort of the same thing. So the 10 members of the DAO, a vote appears in their wallet and you can send it for proposal one, two, three, or four. Mm-hmm. Let's say the majority sends it to proposal four, and then those ten thousand dollars are dispersed uh, automatically to that to that purchase. And um, so, it's a way of organizing um, collective thought and decision making and action with value without. Um, a center. There's no, there's no yeah. organization. It's a autonomous kind of mesh. And um, so that's like a very simple example just to kind of get it going. But yeah, I was yeah. just listening to a podcast about D org, which is a, I think 70 or 80 member DAO of programmers who build crypto projects and 
so there's 70 or 80 members in this collective and they work on different. So the collective gets hired by clients who need programmers. They track their time. And uh, the whole thing was, um, it was fascinating. I believe it was on the podcast, the blockchain socialist um, just this week, but, um, but hearing how this large organization, a comp- essentially what we would call a company with 70 employees, but there's no boss. Uh, what there is is yeah. 70 people kind of working together and crypto economically tracking their time and tracking the value they create and making decisions together through voting. Um, and that the whole thing is very articulated in terms of uh, how they schedule their democracy, how many times people can weather voting a month, um, how rep- how um, investment in the project is tracked. All of it was... Um, this is a phenomena that's just sort of taking shape now, but this I was see. an example D org like a D like David or development. Um, I, I was the most uh, complex model I'd heard that was articulated in a way I could really understand it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just coming into focus, but, um, but I think for people who are interested in, um, in co-ops in worker owned endeavors, it's like something to start to dial in on and start to see what's happening, you know? Um, I see. Right. And it's just, yeah, it sort of takes the, a lot of the effort and complexity around organizing out of it. Right. And it sort of places it more into, or it makes it easier in some ways, but you know, it also makes it difficult because people have to trust this system in a way, yeah. which is, you know, which is a difficult sell, but you only need a couple of proofs of concepts. I don't know. I think DAOs are much more interesting than NFTs, for example, in terms of hmm. the left, you know, and um, I don't know. I think I'm going to listen to that. Po- it's, there's a podcast called Blockchain Socialist. Yeah, the Blockchain Socialist. That's right. <laughs> That's how far That's this it. discourse has gone. <laughs> there's only um, one, though. There's not two. If you, if, I won't say it's like the first research, first search that's going to come up on Google. It's the right, only right, one right, that will come right. up. But, um, but it, yeah. But yeah, um, no, you know, but I think terrible. there's, the, but it, but uh, so in, in the world of DAO, you've got this, yeah, structures of like basic, you know, kind of collective decision making there. And then I think another thing to look at is, you know. Um, you know, the, the history of kind of community currency projects, which predate um, computers, like whether it's uh, Ithaca Hours. I was going to say Ithaca Bucks or whatever. Yeah, Ithaca, Ber- <laughs> there's like Berkshire Bucks, Ithaca Hours, um, Berkeley Bucks. But, you know, there's this long history, I think maybe really flourished in the 60s, but I, I forget the... Um, there's an article I think on Hacker Noon is the website. Uh, I think if if you Google Hacker Noon and UBI like Universal Basic Income, mm-hmm. there was an article there that cited um, some you know experiments in black autonomy during Reconstruction, where where black farmers I believe in the South created a kind of currency to circulate wealth inside the black mm-hmm. community. But anyways, through history, there's been yeah. many different attempts at creating right. yeah sort of like local or community specific currencies to keep wealth in, in a certain community. Totally. And so, you know, the idea of a, a crypto system that could serve that kind of a function um, is like, yeah, I haven't seen it That's yet. I haven't seen it yet, but it seems like low hanging fruit. I mean, it seems so. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you, have you seen things that take on yeah. that character? Well, I, I haven't, you know, like for me, when I, come across these types of projects 
the one thing I keep thinking is just that like there has never been a point in American history where more people are interested in the idea of like alternate currency or alternate forms of distributing and valuing money and labor, right? Like mm. um, this is it, you know, like basically <laughs> Uh, and it it could be that you know it it is likely that ninety five percent of the people in this space will have no interest in anything like this, right? They just want to get rich, and that's yeah. fine. But like, even the one in twenty is more than you know, I guess so. I still feel yeah, space. so skeptical about it. And so like, yeah. you know, like I guess yeah, I don't know. Like you know, the, we're yeah, you know, I, I I think we should talk about one more thing and then um, wrap up a bit. But like, you know, my my only thought here is is just that like. I think that it would behoove people to try and not worry about the 19 out of the 20, you know? Mm. Um, and it seems like that's where we get tripped up. And I actually totally understand why people care more about the night. Like if the thing that you create is going to create some sort of like fascist uh, <laughs> system where everybody, you know, of incredible and concentrated wealth, like I remember thinking at some point, like, you know, like if Bitcoin actually did what everybody became like the world currency and it was a deflationary currency, and if you have like two Bitcoin, it means that you have like, you know, American, like a equivalent right now of like a trillion dollars, you know, <laughs> like it would be something like that. Like that world is horrific to think about, right? Yeah. Like where like the Winklevoss twins have are like yeah. so rich that like um, it's in they're richer than like the America right now, you know, like um, like that's not a positive thing. But totally. at the same time, like it doesn't mean that like uh, that's the only solution that can be created, you know? Yeah. Um, Oh my God, there's a child on track. There's Asia. Hey. Asia. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think, I think that's part of what, like why I was saying there's like fights on labor Twitter about it, because I think like, yes, there, I mean, and maybe it just mirrors kind of an old conversation around, you know, traditional conception of like Marxist labor exploitation versus a co-op and kind of like, what right. can a co-op really do in the face of like global capital, et cetera, et cetera. And so maybe it's a little bit of that, but I think it's also just this deep skepticism about like, sure, you can organize people into a DAO and potentially have, I don't know, like a day labor, a co-op or whatever, a freelancer's guild or something. But is that really organizing? Like what, what kind of organizing is this organization? You know, I think is mm -hmm. a persistent question for people who are really care about worker power. Like, can that be articulated yeah. through these mechanisms? Yeah. Uh, Alex, do you have thoughts about that? That's, that's yeah, a, it I, seems like, a, yeah. I mean, for, for, for me, it's, it's um, I don't know. I think, but it has to, it sort of starts with what is the problem that you want to address and what's the vision for how you address it in human terms? What is it that you want to achieve? And I think, you know, um, the, uh, the left, um, in my, you know, my humble opinion, uh, has, um, you know, out of need, out of crisis, out of suffering, out of pain, um, been in a reactionary mode, uh, and especially the subsector that I'm in, immigrant rights, reacting to the horror of child separation or detention or anything, mm -hmm. but not able uh, or, or to take the time to say, well, what would a world without borders look like? Yeah. Like, like, let's imagine, you know, to, to imagine a world where there's no violence on a border or a world without borders at all. And how would we administer our affairs? Um, what, you know, what do we want to achieve? And do these systems play any role in that? You know, it's a question that has to come sort of downstream from right. like, what is the problem we want to solve? Um, and what are the goals we want to achieve? But even that conversation, I think the left is, uh, has, you know, really gone away from programmatic visions. Um, of, of justice, you know, mm -hmm. how do you administer mm -hmm. a better, 
you know, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in, for example, reading a real um, design document on what a better uh, way of dealing with uh, violence and social social violence. That's not the criminal justice system. I've been reading, uh, I forget the, the name, the, the book is The Dawn of Everything. You know, it's David Graeber and his collaborator's yeah. right, right. new book. And I thought their detailing of indigenous societies, ways of dealing with what we would call crime was right. super fascinating and that it, and there right. were different, different ways of doing it. And so it's like starting off kind of with, well, what is the proposal for how, uh, for a better world, your piece of a better world? What is the problem? And then, and then if these tools, if these, these, these decentralized, you know, leaderless um, mesh um, logics, do they in- enable that? You know, I don't know, but I know if we don't understand them, if we don't wrestle with it and then it's never going to, it's never going to, you know, then for sure not, you know, but, um, but so I think it, it, um, you know, and that, and that to me has been the most interesting thing is like coming at this question from a point of view as a, as a child of a cross border, you know, I'm a, I'm a, in a cross border family. I'm a part of a transnational family and I want to see a world without violent borders and maybe a world without borders at all. And that these systems yeah. are post-national logistics, they're post-national infrastructures, uh that's interesting so that you know and um so so so, yeah that that's kind of where my my thinking is but i definitely don't have the answer to the big question you're asking (laughs) no no but this is great uh i don't know this i feel like uh less uh you know i usually i just think about this stuff in total isolation because my you know like even my co-host on the bitcoin podcast i did you know like he's he was more he's not as interested in these he is like you know i he is interested but he also like you know is interested in it in a broader sense not just in this sort of narrow scope of like you know how do we use this for left politics right Mm -hmm. and so i don't know this has been very clarifying for me um the last question i think we have to talk about which is the big sort of trump card that everyone pulls which i think is a necessary one which is like well what about the energy consumption right like you know like are we in our attempts to sort of create a more uh better organized let's say like labor union or or to sort of make it so that artists aren't just giving all their money to christie's and sotheby's and a handful of like (laughs) saudi princess right um like are we going to destroy the environment in the process and so like what what do you think about that yeah yeah so so i mean my understanding again is that the energy consumption critique is valid for sort of first generation blockchains, uh, ones that use proof of work. Um, what is proof of work? <laughs> Basically, when Bitcoin was invented, um, the idea of having this like ledger that keeps track of where the money is created, where it moves, uh, how do you prevent that from being hacked? Um, and one of the security mechanisms is this idea of sort of skin in the game, that anyone who's going to get to write on that blockchain is going to have to do some work. Their computer is going to have to do some work, sort of get in line. If you think about it like on a highway, the red light at the on-ramp, you got to slow down before getting on the highway. And that's the proof of work aspect of Bitcoin's design, that your computer, if you want to write on the Bitcoin blockchain and be a validator, your, your computer has to do some work and it's random work. Like look for a prime number above a billion and your computer is right. going to sit there doing it, chewing up energy and time 
until you get the solution and then you can enter the system and start to do some work and start to earn some Bitcoin. And so it's a way of basically preventing people from entering quickly and hacking or coordinated attacks on this um, on this system that has uh, that has no no center to it. Later blockchains sort of wave two use a different mechanism called proof of stake, where instead that red light on the on-ramp, instead of it being computer time, it's money. So like Ethereum is transitioning to proof of stake. What does that mean? It means if you want to work on the Ethereum blockchain, you have to deposit, I think the number is like 32 Ether, which is I think like roughly $120,000 right now, um, into an escrow account. And then if you hack or do something bad faith on the blockchain, you lose that. So instead of your computer burning electricity and creating carbon, you're, you're just putting some money in an account. And so that mm-hmm. my understanding mm-hmm. from people who've studied it is that from proof of work to proof of stake, the energy consumption drops 95%. So right. I think oh, the wow. energy okay. consumption is a real concern, but I think it's also been used like a kind of sledgehammer to... Um, to, to smash the whole thing. Um, and it's just, it's my understanding. It's just not accurate. So right, right, it is I what agree, it is. Yeah. Now, do we need computers at all? Like that's an interesting, you know, <laughs> that's an interesting conversation to me. You know, I look at the Amish and I, you know, I was there recently in central Pennsylvania and I saw these Amish cats on their cell phones. And I was like, I thought they don't use technology. And that was explained to me. No, no a long time ago, they talked about it and they deliberated. There's no technology. They're always on their cell phones. There's, but there's no technology. <laughs> I had no it. idea that the Amish are always on their phones. <laughs> well, only to, do, what I was told is only to do work with the outside world that like uh, uh, a yeah, mother, yeah. a mother will never call her daughter. A father will not call the neighbor. They don't talk inside the community on technology ever. Um, but to go call out and, you know, decide where we got to deliver the cheese, then we'll pick up the phone. But they <laughs> talked about it. Like we've never in our societies, never talked about it. Just, I oh, just gobble it all up. It's like, I'll use it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. so, so in any case, I think there's like an interesting conversation about, do we need this stuff at all? How should it be in our lives and our kids' lives, all this stuff. That's interesting to me. But, um, but in terms so of the volcano uh, thing, isn't the only solution. <laughs> no, I mean, well, yeah, we didn't. No, mean, and all there, like all these new ones, like Avalanche and Solana, yeah, like they they have problems in that. Like some of them are centralized, and you know, some of them are literally like completely owned by you know people you would not want to own anything, oh, really? right? Okay. But they do use a very small amount of electric, you know, energy, and so I I think that the energy thing is like it's like an eye popping you know like when they're like it uses more energy the blockchain uses more energy than like six european countries whatever that's <laughs> like but it's not you know it's not really true of these new products um mm. but and that, uh, how much does the whole internet use because if if bitcoin yeah. uses as much as like brazil or whatever that has right. to be less than what the internet generally <laughs> uses like how much does the internet use? I have no, I've never seen, I have no idea, but it right. has to be more than Bitcoin, I think, because Bitcoin would I be would part of it. I think so. Um, <laughs> Seems like a well, lot, but who knows, man. But the other question, the last thing I'll put there is that these kind of immutable systems, like, you know, where they're talking about building like a social media platform or a right. Twitter inside of these um, mm-hmm. decentralized protocols. I do have the question, which is, what about the Nazis? And, uh, you know, I'm definitely interested in, in um, you know. This is the like, question every episode. Like, what yeah. 
Yeah, now it's like you should have like a theme song. Like now let's enter the what about the Nazis part of this conversation. <laughs> Our most recurring segment, <laughs> what about the Nazis? <laughs> you know, because the idea of, you know, uh, you know, f- uh, like a plat- platforms that are, uh, you know, unsent. You know, a lot of um, the builders of these systems celebrate how they're uncensorable and and all of that. And and that that obviously, um, you know, that that scares me. The idea of yeah. you know these technologies just being injected um, into uh, the racist uh, you know nightmare that we live inside and uh, empowering. <laughs> The Nazis. So I do have questions about that. And I'm really, I've been tracking some conversations about, um, again, these kind of crypto economic models to do mediation, to do uh, conflict resolution. Um, maybe that's for another episode, oh, wow. but I just want to put it out there that I'm, I'm definitely like, cons- you know, that to me is, is a concern. What about the yeah, Nazis? My counter to that is always like, well, then you shouldn't let them just take over this massive space by themselves. You know, yeah. like, it's like, do you really want a world where like this stuff is like, it's going to stay. It's here to stay. Right. It's mm-hmm. not some fad at this point. And it is bad that, you know, there's no participation or almost no participation from progressives or the left. Right. Like that's mm-hmm. just sort of seated to the right. And, um, you know, like basically what's going to happen is that the, the the only solution that the left can come up with it once it gets big enough and they have no control over it is to try and ban it, right? Which is going to just be worse, yeah. right? Like it's just like the Elizabeth Warren type of uh, response, which is like, you know, like we have to regulate or basically get rid of this stuff. And um, that's just not going to work, I don't think, at this point. Like the cat yeah. is way out of the bag, you know? <laughs> Like my most normal <laughs> friends. Know, I guess. Own There's Bitcoin the cat. The There's the bag. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. <laughs> you know, like think of the most boring people that you know in life. Like they probably own some form of cryptocurrency. You know, and so like it's like it's it's over. Um, hey, thanks for. Uh, yeah, this is great. I mean, Tammy, is there anything else yeah, that you want to talk guys. about here? No, I hope that the immigrant rights token happens and then everyone in the Discord will be required to buy it as a condition of their participation in the chat room. We'll run our pat we'll run our uh, we'll run our like uh, donations through immigrant rights. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let let's let's let I mean uh, Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, is sort of a, a kind of a quote unquote dreamer. He's a child he was brought to the US as a child. I mean not to the US right, to right, Canada right. to Canada as a child. And um I was in a bizarre uh, conversation with him and Nadia from Pussy riot and uh she oh, she asked right. she asked him about his vision of utopia and dystopia and uh, utopia part of it was a world where people could travel safely around the world and uh dystopia was a world of like really hardened mis- militarized borders so he's an anti-border thinker and a migrant um so in any case i mean i think fusing you know, finding places of contact and empowerment um, between this like post-national infrastructure that's getting built yeah. and the immigrant rights movement, telling the crypto community that immigrants are like human bitcoins. <laughs> they're, they're, we should be as free. <laughs> they travel. People should be capital. as free as a bitcoin. You know, as maybe somebody, <laughs> you know, can can we get on that agenda together? Like, I love that. Yeah. You know, the 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 day when like NFT Twitter because. Uh, Pussy Riot did a bunch of NFT stuff. Yeah. And there was like two days when NFT Twitter was like discovering what Pussy Riot was. It was like the funniest <laughs> two days ever. It was, it was like, I, I would be in like these discords and people were like, 
yo, should we ape into this pussy riot uh, <laughs> NFT? Like, it seems pretty rare. You know, it seems like it's going to pop. And I'd just be like, what the what the hell is going there's a pussy ride nft <laughs> but they were like at the they were like at the new york city uh, nft conference and everything like that so they're wow. i don't know they're into it. um okay all cool. right my friends thank you um, so much for this, this thank chance you so to... much thank alex you all right okay all right. Um, thank you you can go yeah 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 go ahead um all if right. you just uh if, hold on wait Let me... don't close your browser yeah yeah don't don't close your browser um uh, I will just say, okay, well, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, you can listen we're on once a week, and if you want to support the show, you can go to goodbye.substack.com, or you can email us at time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com. On Twitter, we're at TTSGPod. Uh, thanks for listening, and um, yeah, we'll see you next week.